Let's pray together, church. Father in heaven, you are holy, righteous, and true. Your name is great, and we praise you today. You did look beyond our sin and find a need for salvation. God, by your great grace, you chose to save our souls. God, we worship and praise you. Lord, we ask that you open eyes this morning by your spirit. Awaken us to the truth that is in your word. God, bring salvation to souls this morning. We ask, oh God, Lord, we trust you. We commit the next season of Bible study to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you've ever raised a child, you know that that phase is coming. You know the phase is coming when the why question begins to be asked over and over and over and over and over again. And it can be, why is the sky blue? It can be, why is that man's face painted? Why is that woman so mean? Why are they being mean to each other on the football field? Uh, it can be why anything. And, uh, and, and it is fun, but it can be frustrating because you're always answering that question. And you have some children that are a little more why happy than others, even. And sometimes even in the teenage years, it's why do I have to take a shower? Why do I have to wear deodorant? And you work through those problems and hopefully someday those answers stick. Hopefully, hopefully those answers stick. But oftentimes the why question are for things that are more important than that, aren't they? And, and we face those heavier life questions of you know, why am I this way? Or why did this happen? Or why did this person lose their life? And there, there are difficult questions that we feel crippled until we can come up with some semblance of why. And, and, and I want to encourage each of you that, that God has put a sense of, of why in our hearts. And when we ask the questions why, it is because God made us that way. He made us with a, an inquisitive mind to try to have reasoning behind the things that happen. And it helps us to order and structure things in a way that brings peace in our soul. God made us to wonder. And that is one of the things that leads us to our creator. Is because we ask why. Why does this world exist? Why are there male and female of every created and living creature? Why am I here? And, and then why did this happen? And that begins to lead us to, well, there's got to be something bigger than, than just me. Because it's a lot more than me going on, even in this room. It's a lot more than me. 
So it's got to be bigger than, than just what I want. And if it's bigger, then... And everything is so organized around us. Why was it made? Is there a reason that humanity exists and that this planet that we're on that's soaring through the universe at such a perfect speed to sustain life? There's there's why. If you have your Bible. I'd like to invite you to open up to Job chapter 1. In our reading this week, we are in the book of Job, and it is a a book that for thousands of years has intrigued people. Job is a book that has brought uh, challenging questions. And many people, when they begin to read the book of Job, they see a righteous man living before God, and, and then they wonder, well, why did all these bad things happen to him? It has inspired and challenged so many people through our own struggles, through our own why questions, through our own deep despair. The book of Job makes us question God. It makes us question our motives. It makes us question our friends. It makes us question what is true. And what is bigger than me that I'm supposed to be finding out about this world? Job opens our minds and our thoughts to many things like no other book of the Bible can. And so this morning, we're going to delve in and read some of this scripture and get to some conclusions. So we'll begin in chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz, his name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. He was one of the good guys, if you will. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would sin and invite their three sisters and eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them or set them apart before God. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, may it be that my, may it be, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did continually. All right. I shared this with my family last night. In verse five, there, there's a neat thing going on. And this is just one of those neat things you find reading through the Bible. If you look at the end of the verse, uh, it says when Job speaks, it says it may be that my children have sinned. And what? What does it say? And cursed God. Now, in your Bible, on your on your phone, in your in your printed Bible, you might have a little footnote there. And you should because it's important. There's a footnote that says right next to the word cursed. Did you know in the the Hebrew Bible, uh, the Hebrew word used there is barach. Barach. And barach does not mean to curse. In fact, it means to to bless. So what the Hebrew scripture says, it may be that my children have sinned and bless God in their hearts. 
Now you should be thinking, well, then why would they put curse God? Why would they put curse God there if it says bless God? And, and, And most Hebrew scholars think that there was such a great reverence for the name of God that the Hebrew Hebrews uh, writing this initial manuscript of Job couldn't stand to have the word curse God together. So they said, we'll use the opposite word because I can't stand to have cursed God because that's not what this book is about. And God is such a revered and holy and pure God that he cannot be near this word curse God. So so that's what most people believe is going on there. Really neat thing, but it gives you an idea of whoever's writing this book of Job, and we don't know who it is, had such a reverence for God's name and God's character that he wouldn't even put a bad word next to the name of God. Keep that in mind as we read through this, this narrative of Job. There is such a high view of God as we march through, and, and Christian, I think you and I could take note of that. As we study the word of God throughout. But here especially in the book of Job. Picking up in verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan. From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said. From going to and fro on the earth. And from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? God, you gave him the easy life. Of course he's going to fear you. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand only against him. Do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now here's another quick Hebrew lesson. That word for Satan is literally the word for accuser. Satan would be the Hebrew word, but it means the accuser. So this is the accuser, and that gives you the, the mindset of this, uh, this demon who is there to bring an accusation. Now, I ask you a question now. Who initiated the conversation here with the accuser? It was God. Have you considered my servant Job? So this is beginning to see, okay, this is God who is working something here. Now, throughout this book, what you're going to notice is there is a a mighty, uh, a great emphasis on God's sovereign hand doing things. God is working a bigger picture than than merely Job. In fact, God is working in and through his friends who will show up. Four of them, ultimately, who will show up. 
God is working to present an image and, and, and give truth to this group of people through a, a, a tough and difficult story. Now, some can step back and say, well, that, this story is awfully nasty and brutal and painful. And I would, I would stand beside you and say, yes, it is. This is, this is, this is terrible for Job. There's great pain, and, and, and I, can't, I, I can't even imagine the pain that Job goes through. There is a, a darkness that Job sees that, that I've never seen. And I, there, there is a darkness that some of you in this room have seen that I've never seen. And so I stand humbly before you saying, I, I can't relate to Job like some of you can. And I know that as we've begun this, the question of why comes up as you walk through. Not, not merely losing one child, but, but here as he loses multiple children. And goes through deep hardships. That the question of why comes up. And we're going to see that that comes up here later. And the scripture addresses it. It does. But I want, I want to, to make sure I, I relate to you that, that I come very uh, with trepidation to this book. Because it is, it is a powerful message to those who have, have walked through darkness. Now incidentally, here we see that the means by which all of these bad things happen are the accuser or the Satan. Or we say Satan. Of the demonic realm. There, is, there are bad things happening. And the means by which these bad things happen. Are through this fallen angel. This spiritual demon. That comes. And, and interestingly enough. Only three times is this, this Hebrew word. The Satan. Or the accuser used in the Old Testament. Y'all probably know two of them. One of them is what? In, in the garden. At the fall. The second one is where? Right here in Job, and the third one is in one of the minor prophets, interestingly. Let's look at verse 13. So, God gives permission for Job to come under attack. And that is exactly what happens through the the vile deeds of Satan. Verse 13, now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. The Sabaeans fell upon them, struck them down, struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, there came another one and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans have formed three groups and made a raid on, on the camels and took them and struck them down, struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. 
And I alone have escaped to tell you. Moment by moment by moment, Job's life falls apart. And it's natural disaster. And it's other people doing bad things. And it is a compilation that that attacks Job. Verse 20, Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head as a sign of great grief and mourning, and he fell on the ground, and what did he do, church? He worshipped. He worshipped. He worshipped. In the darkest moment that he's ever faced in his life, he fell on his knees and he worshiped God. How can that be? And and here's what we say, and here's what I say, and here's what I think. When trouble comes, the, the trueness of our heart begins to reveal itself. And you can think about it. You know, you're driving and somebody cuts you off and you're like, or whatever you say. I say, but somebody else might say something different. That's the nature. It comes out when those things happen. Or when you're spoken evil against or accused of lying or being doing something wrong or evil. And, and your immediate response is, well, yeah. It's the nature coming out. And and what I truly think is Job's heart was he loved God. And as he's processing all of this tragedy, he knows the only place that he can turn to is the God who's greater than all of this. So he falls on his knees and he worships God. Because that is the foundation of his heart. That is the great desire of his heart. He is a righteous man after all. And his heart is shown right here to us. And what does he say? Verse 21. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's interesting. Job kind of uses logic here. To deal and to cope. You know, God gave me this gift and he looks at the 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 blessing and the benefit of God that he has given him even these children and given him these things and giving him these blessings. And and he says he may have taken them away, but, but he's given them to me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And, and I want to give this to you as, as at least a thought as we deal with and cope with hardships that come, difficulties that come, problems that we have in life is that oftentimes we are, are quick or people in general are quick to raise a fist to God. Because he's taken something away that is precious to them. But all the time they've had that great gift from God, they have been slow to raise the hand of thanks and blessing to God. This is the way Job is coping here. But 
But that's not all. Because if you've read the rest of Job, you, you know that there's more than just chapter one. You know that Job begins to begin to hurt. And he begins to process this, this great grief in different ways. Verse 22 says, in all of this, chapter 1, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job's heart at the beginning of this was a pure heart who loved God. But let's keep going. Job trusted God's sovereign hand at this point. Job saw that God gave and God took away. And the means by which all that happened is not for this moment. But the means is that Job truly believed and loved the God who is sovereign over it all. And Job said, I can trust that God. He gave, he took away, praise his name. That's God's business, not mine. How powerful is that? But that doesn't mean that Job doesn't begin to think more and more. And, and here's the way that I, I think Job plays out. And, and, and many people that I read and have studied. Job is good at, at that moment. He worships. He prays. But then he begins to... To think. And y'all know what happens sometimes when you begin to think, right, Jay? You begin to think, and then those, those thinkers begin to stray from the truth that you know. And you begin to get on a rabbit trail. You call it uh, something that's not quite the straight and narrow. And you think of Pilgrim and Pilgrim's Progress always kind of walking down those, those side paths and getting into trouble or mischief or problems. And, and, and this is kind of where, where Job starts to get at some point. And Job begins to focus on, on a, a debate with his friends. And we see some of the problems of Job's thinking and understanding come out. And we see that Job begins to really question why. And, and again, I'm not saying we shouldn't say why. I'm, I'm affirming the why. The why is important. Very important. Watch Job hit the why question. And, and this is just a sampling of some of them in the book of Job. Job 3, 11. Why did I not die at birth? Come out from the womb and, and expire. Just die. Why did the knees receive me or the breast that I should nurse? I, why didn't I just die at birth? It would have been so much better than feeling this pain that I feel right now. Later in chapter 3, verse 20. Why is light given to him who's in misery? I, I don't even want to feel this or see this or know this. It just makes me hurt more. Why do I have to feel this way? Uh, chapter 7, verse 20. 
Why have you made me the mark or the, the target, if you will? Why have I become a burden to you, God? Why do you not pardon my transgressions and take away my iniquity? For now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be. I might as well not even be here. Chapter 13, verse 24. Why do you hide your face from me, God, and count me as your enemy? God, why? Why why am I receiving all of this like an enemy? Job 21, verse 7. Why do the wicked live and reach old age and grow mighty in power? And yet here am I, hurting, suffering, and the wicked are, 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 are prospering. Why? Job begins to... To run some of these tracks and run some of these questions and they lead him to a place where, well, Job begins to focus more on on the why question. And and here's where we kind of, we turn gears a bit. And this is, church, I want to give this thought to you for you as you process through some of your whys and, and, and your hurts. By the time we get to the end of the book, God is not as concerned in communicating the answer to the why question. Now, hear me. I am not saying God doesn't have a why, an answer to the why question. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. God does everything for a reason and a purpose. He draws every conversation of ours for a reason and a purpose. He draws every decision we make into a masterful plan for reason and purpose. But he does not always reveal those reasons to us. And Christian, we have to be okay with that. Because if anybody deserved, if you will, some answers, it was, it was the guy that lost his ten kids and everything he had and his, his physical well-being. Right? I mean, more than I deserve a, a, a why answer. But God never gave Job the answer to why. And so when I read that, I go, Why? That was supposed to be funny. I, I got it. He never answered why. And I say, why? Why? Why didn't you answer why? Because God has something more important. Is what I believe the answer to that question is. More important than the reasons why. Is the answer to the question. Who? And, and I'll get to that. Tyler read it earlier. But you'll see that by the end of the story, Job comes and he's asked all of his wives and he's, he's questioned and he's hurting and he's, all of these things are going on. And by the end of the story, after God speaks to Job, that's not his question anymore. Think about this. 
Uh, if you've had children or been around young children or you've babysat children, whatever it may be, they come up to you and they will say, oh, Chris, why are you wearing those shoes? And you'll say, um, because my feet hurt if I don't wear shoes. Oh, Chris, why do your feet hurt? Because my feet are tender. Why are your feet tender? Well, I, I, my nerves and my feet are, are, are sensitive to think. Why are your nerves tender? You know how it goes, right? I mean, you've, you've been around the kids. We're just growing up kids in many ways, right? I mean, our minds are still working on that why leads to why leads to why leads to, leads to why leads to why. Why did you take this person away? Well, why did you have to do it that way? Well, why couldn't you have done it this way? And, and why didn't that happen? Or why am I made this way? And why couldn't you make me this way? And why'd you make that person this way and me this way? Why, why, why? And it, it, it's a why, why. Never ending. Why? And again, we're made that way. Why is okay. But there's a reason why God doesn't always give us the answer to that question. We're going to jump way ahead, in fact, to verse, chapter 42, verse 1 through 6. I make the statement, and I encourage you to understand this statement. It is, why is not the most important question that God wants to answer for Job and, and, and for us many times. And I stated that the answer should be who. Who is in charge of this? And this is what, when you get to 38, God begins to question Job. You know, Job's asked his questions throughout the book and his friends and his response. And he's asking all these questions and accusing God oftentimes of, of things. Making accusations. And then God comes in in chapter 38 and says, hey, where were you, son? Pull your pants up. You want questions? I got questions for you. Where were you when I made these creatures? Where were you when I made the eagle fly and care for its young? Were you the one planning? Where were you when I made this beast that you can't even, you can't even handle him? And I made him. And he can do things that, that make your mind blow. Where were you? You want questions? I've got questions. And Job begins to. He's put in his place. And Job begins to realize through these chapters of questioning that God is showing how small and insignificant in so many ways that Job is. And that God has much bigger plans and much bigger responsibilities and much bigger purposes in all of creation than one man in the land of Uz. Brothers and sisters, may I share with you and communicate with you that oftentimes when we ask the question why, and we should, Again, may that not be the only question we ask. Because why is a helpful question and oftentimes brings us to an understanding of who God is 
that we don't know. And it it oftentimes brings us to the word of God to answer those questions. And look, what does the scripture tell us about who God is and why he does what he does? But I'll offer to you this. We can never truly understand the why until we understand who God is. If you want to know why God allows or ordains things to happen, you'll never understand why he did anything until you understand who God is. And what motives that he has for doing the things that he has. God is loving. We sang about it this morning. The songs that were chosen were about God's love. Did you notice? Why does God love us? That's a question. God, why do you love us? And the answer is wrapped up in who God is. First John tells us that. God is love. And he loves us because that is his nature and character. God wants the best for us and does something about it. God wants the best for us. We are sinners in a plight before God, guilty as lawbreakers before God, a holy God, and are in need, as Belinda sang to us this morning. He looked past that and said, they need. I want the best for them. Love is wanting the best for somebody and doing something about it. I'm going to send my son. We read John three sixteen through 18 this morning. I'm going to send my son to redeem them. Why? Because I love my people. And I will redeem them because I love them. Christian, when's the last time you asked the question to God? God, why, why do you care about me? Why have you gone to such great price to redeem my soul? You sent your son to save Me, an undeserved sinner. That's a good why question. And it's answered in the who God is. Job 42, verse 1 through 6. Y'all still with me this morning? Then Job answered the Lord after his questioning and said, I know that you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Let me just stop stop right there. Job has asked why and and wondered why. And why didn't I die? God, why am I your enemy? Several of the whys we looked at and many more. And God questions him and brings him to who he is. The maker, the majestic, holy God. And Job's response is, I know you're all powerful. I know, God, the nature of who you are. You are mighty. And all things can be done by all things can be done by you. Including preventing whatever has happened to me that I don't like. I know that you can do all things and that know what, church, help me out, and that know what? 
that you are a God of purpose, that you have reasons and plans and designs. Do you see that Job has has understood now that God is a God who is all-powerful and a God who has purpose? And not only does he have purpose, but that his purpose will not be what? It won't be thwarted. It won't be stopped. God is ruler God, sovereign God, reigning God. Man comes face to face with God and he learns these truths about God. He's almighty. He has a purpose. He can't be stopped. And then Job begins to quote God in verse 3. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? And he responds to that. I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. With my limited understanding, God, I have uttered things that are foolish in your sight. Job doesn't approach God and say, yeah, I know you're all powerful and I know you can do all things. And I know that nothing you want to do can be thwarted. But why, God, did you do that? He comes before God with those truths and said, your plan is your plan and I shouldn't have even questioned it. You see the demeanor change? When you meet with God and you come face to face with the word of God and his revealed character and nature, we begin to be a little bit more humble before God and say, I don't necessarily have to know why. I just need to know you a little bit better, I think. And I'll watch. I'll see how this plays out. I think you got this, God. He again quotes God, hear and I will speak. I will question you and you will make it known to me. That's God bringing that before Job several chapters earlier. And Job's reply is, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now I see you. I knew you in one sense. And we believe he did, right? I mean, chapter one, he bows down and worships. We, we believe he knew God, but now he... Knows God. You know what I'm talking about? Like like you can believe that God exists or even you can believe that God is good. You can even be a, a Christian and believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that he came to save sinners who repent. You can believe those things. But sometimes after you go through something, you know God. Like you know him. Because you've walked through it with him and you've studied the word of God. And now the character, the things of God is love, which is so shallow on a billboard. When you've walked through that, it's so deep and rich when you read it in the scripture. When when you're a teenager and you think God sent his only son. All right, that sounds pretty, pretty good. But when you're holding your child in your arms and you think God sent his only son. And tears come to your eyes. No God. 
Job knows God. Now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself. I repent and dust and ashes. I recognize. My demeanor was not right. My heart before you was off. And so I close this morning. I, I, I'm, I am sorry that I haven't been able to do more justice to this text. But may I leave you with this. If you are hurting, if you have walked through the valley. Even if you haven't. Know that one day you, you probably will. May every ounce of hurt and pain and grief and sorrow bring you to know who God is. And if you don't know why, I share with you that sometimes you will and sometimes you you won't. But faith is trusting in God enough to know that even if I don't know why, that He does. And that's enough. And one day when you die and you go to heaven and you're face to face with God and and all knowledge and things are revealed to us, you, you may know. I don't know that you'll know, but you might. But what I can tell you is that you'll know what you need to know. Because God is good. God rewards those who seek him. And God loves you, Christian. And he wants the best for you. And he did something about it. And he continues to do something about it. And and if you don't know why, then then I'll say, say it like this. Then you probably don't need to know why. Because God is God. Let's pray together. God, you are holy, righteous. You are wise beyond our understanding. Thank you for this narrative of Job. God, may we rest in the presence that you are God. And that we crave to know who, who you are with all of our hearts, God. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.